Good morning, church. Our reading this morning is found in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Phil. Morning, everybody. Good to see you. You probably noticed my voice is an octave lower this morning than normal because I was at a wedding for the first time yesterday in a long, long time. And I realized, having not been at a wedding because of COVID for probably two years, how much you shout at weddings to be heard. Unbelievable. Um, so my voice is, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to not give up before the second gathering, but we're, um, if I go a little bit high-pitched, sometimes that happens as well, I've noticed this morning. Um, but we're in our... Uh, six weeks of our Family Traits series. So if you're new this morning, if you're just coming along for the first time, you're very welcome. And we're uh, studying as a church, really, what does it look like for us to be this church, to be Village Church? Um, and we've looked over these last couple of weeks, at the, or last few weeks, at the pillars that we have as a church that were kind of the foundations upon which we're built. So the three pillars that we have are gospel, community and mission. Gospel, um, the good news of Jesus Christ and how that is what we uh, really are founded on. That's what we base everything on. It drives everything that we do. Uh, And we looked at in the first two weeks of this series in Family Traits, how we want to grow as a church family in in abiding in Jesus Christ. Knowing that everything that we do in life, it flows out of our relationship with Jesus. Every good that we do, uh, it only can happen uh, because of Jesus working in us and Jesus working through us. And so we want to be a church that learns how to to practice Jesus Christ's presence with us daily, uh, to be with him, aware of his presence in every moment. That's what we looked at in the first two weeks. The second two weeks uh, that, that we've just had, we looked at how as a community, we want to grow in our generosity. We want to be those who reflect the sacrificial, abundant generosity of our God. How generous God has been towards us, we want to be towards others, to bring glory to his name, to be a blessing to others. That's what God calls us to, and that's what we want to grow in, not just in our money, but also in every part of our lives, whether that be our our talents, our time, the resources that we have, all of it, we want to be generous with it. And then these last two weeks that we have now, we're going to look at that uh, pillar of mission. So what does it mean for us to be a missional church? Uh, For me, it's really exciting to get to focus on this for a couple of weeks and to teach on this because really I started in the church here, uh, working for the church in January. Jane and my wife and I have been here for about six years, but um, we come on staff in January time. And really a part of the focus of my job in the church is to help us think about our missional living as a church. And so I'm excited to get to, to teach on this and for us to really in these next couple of weeks dig in a little bit more to what this looks like for us as God's people to be on mission every day 
in the ordinary things that we do? What does it look like for us to, to go for Jesus Christ into this world, to live for him, to share him with others, to bring others under the sound of the gospel and to have the gospel bear on their lives? So the first question though you might ask is, well, what is our mission as a church? That's a good starting place, isn't it? And, and the simplest uh, place that we can find it, I suppose, the simplest terms that we can find it in, it is Jesus giving this mission to his disciples in Matthew 28. It's on the screen, you'll see it. Familiar words, probably. Uh, the, the context of this is that Jesus Christ, he's come to his disciples on a mountain in Galilee. He's died on the cross. He's been dead for three days in the tomb, and then he's risen to life again. And this is his final team talk to his disciples before leaving this earth, before ascending to heaven to sit at his Father's right hand, enthroned in glory forever. And this is what he says in verse 18 to his disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm in charge. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Here's your mission as my disciples, as my people, the church. In light of who I am and the, the power and the authority that I possess, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and bear witness to me. Go and be my ambassadors in this world. Do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that I am always with you. And do it to the glory of the Father. That's the mission. It sounds simple, doesn't it? Whenever Jesus puts it like that. But I'm not sure what comes to mind when you think of being missional, of, of being uh, someone who's on mission every day living for Jesus, being his ambassador in this world. When you think of the word evangelism, I don't know what thoughts are, are brought up in your mind or evoked in your mind. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe you feel like you could be doing more on mission. Maybe it's fear. You never really know what to say to people on mission. Don't really know how to answer people's questions. Maybe there's joy in your mind today because when you think of living missionally, you can think right now of people in your life who you are sharing your life with and sharing the gospel with too, and it brings you great joy to know that. The truth is, when we start talking about mission as a church, I think we can talk, uh, or we can think about mission uh, in a way that people think about camping. Now, go with me on this. Some people absolutely love camping, don't they? Other people, it's not really their thing. Maybe you're one of those people. If I was to ask who likes camping here, raise of hands. A few, ah, there's a few people like camping. Others, maybe not so much. Um, if I was to say uh, another question might be, how prepared do you feel you are when you go camping? Show of hands in that if you ever go camping. Some people really prepared. Some people know what things to take with them. They, they know the things that you need to camp well. I'm not one of those people, I have to say. I, when I get out there and I'm pitching the tent uh, and it's raining and it's pouring down, I'm thinking, why did I ever decide to do this? I'm thinking, I forgot the wood for the fire. I have nothing to eat because I didn't bring that bag that's in the car. 
I don't feel like I'm very well prepared when it comes to camping. And camping, it requires us to, to make ourselves a bit uncomfortable, doesn't it? You leave the comfort of home. You leave maybe that nice warm fire in your house. Um, and when you think of mission, you can think of mission like we think of camping. And some of us might prefer to say when it comes to camping, I'm happy for other people to do it, but it's not really my cup of tea. I'm happy for people who really get their kick out of it to just crack on with it. That, if that's their thing and they enjoy it, go for it. But it's not for me. And camping as well, it, it's, it's not the norm. We can think of, of mission and, and camping um, together kind of a, in a way that um, we go camping at special times. No one goes from here today uh, and goes back to their tent that they've pitched down the road and, and camps until next week, until they come back here. I would say no one in the room does that because camping's not the norm. You live in your home, that's the norm. And we can think of mission like that too, that it's only for certain times, special occasions maybe, that's when we do mission. And this is why thinking about mission as a church is really important because I want us to dispel that myth that mission and camping are, are somehow the same. I want us to see that for us as Christians, all of us are on mission. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ this morning, you are a disciple maker for Jesus Christ in this world. That's the truth. That's what we see in these verses as Jesus came to his disciples. He didn't say, some of you go and make disciples. He addressed them all and said, go and make disciples for me. Mission is to be the norm in our lives. It's not to be just for special set-aside occasions in the summer, just like we would do with camping. That's not the way it's meant to be. It's the ordinary, everyday, normal thing in our lives. We're going to think over these next couple of weeks about what it looks like for us to be missional as a church, for us to grow in our mission as a church. And really this morning, I just want us to start the way we started with our two weeks in generosity, thinking about the why. Why be on mission? Before we get to the what does it look like for us to be on mission, I want us to think of the why. And we're going to look at one of the most significant passages, maybe for me, in shaping my understanding of mission. A passage we read from Matthew's Gospel, um, it's one that's helped me a lot over the years uh, when I think of the why. Why go and live for Jesus, represent Jesus in this world? And this passage, it's a really important one in Matthew's gospel as well, because it kind of acts as a marker in Matthew's account of the life of Jesus Christ. Flip back with me to chapter 4. Look at chapter 4, verse 23, and compare it to chapter 9, verse 35, and you'll see that they say very similar things. Chapter 4, it's on the screen. It says, And he, that's Jesus, went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Here's what Jesus is doing. Teaching, preaching, and healing. And these two markers, one at the end of chapter 4 and now one at the end of chapter 9, they are the kind of bookends for this section from chapter 4 to chapter 9. Chapter 5 to 9, it's all about Jesus teaching and training his disciples. Chapter 5 to 7, he's teaching them about what it means to live as his disciple in this world. 
And then in chapters 8 and 9, Jesus is demonstrating his authority and his power with a series of different miraculous acts. And chapter 9 draws to a close with what we read, and it introduces chapter 10, this new section on mission in the book of Matthew. And so it's almost like this little section that we have is like a theological primer to this mission discourse that, that follows with Jesus Christ here. In other words, what Jesus Christ is doing is he's telling his disciples, this is what mission is going to look like in my kingdom. This is what it's going to be like for you as my disciples on mission. And verses, uh, verses 35 to 38, they're almost the spark then that sets the fire going um, for the disciples on mission. So, up to this point, Jesus has been the one who's been on mission. His disciples have just been watching and listening and learning. But now Jesus is going to say to them, it's your turn to get involved. And this is why these uh, verses are so significant for us. Because as we look at Jesus Christ, the ver in verse 35, here's the first thing we see on mission. Look at Jesus' example on mission. Look at his example. Look what he's doing. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages it's so easy to ignore this uh, and almost have it like a throwaway line, but it's important we get what this means. According to a, a historian of the day called Josephus, uh, Galilee, that's the place where Jesus was on mission, had about 204 cities or towns or villages, each of them with no fewer than 15,000 people. So that's a large population we're talking about, about three million people in total. And Matthew says, Jesus Christ goes to all those towns and villages. He doesn't leave a single place out. Northern Ireland has a population of about 1.8 million, so that gives you an idea of the scope of Jesus' mission. Imagine doing a, a mission trip around all of Northern Ireland, not leaving any place out, reaching the high flyers in Belfast city centre, people in the council estates in Ballymena, the farmers out in the fields in Larne, fishermen, and in a skill, and I realize they've been incredibly stereotypical and everything I've just said there, so I apologize to the high flyers in Balamina. But imagine not leaving any people group out, any context out on this disciple making mission. It would be a huge task, but Matthew records that this is what Jesus does, it's his example he sets. It started in chapter 4, verse 23, and he goes throughout all of Galilee. No one's left out. There's no exclusivity. And this is really important for us to get, for us as a church to remember, because God's mission that we are called to be part of as his people doesn't just mean going to people, reaching people like us, people who look like us, or people who sound like us, or people who dress like us, or who have interests like us. This is something we maybe need to consider as a church in this area that we were, we are in, what does it look like for us to go to people who are maybe different from us, a different social standing to us? And we hear the echo of this and what Jesus is doing in Matthew 28, don't we? What he says to the disciples there, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The word he uses there for all nations in the original Greek it's the word ethne, like ethnicities or people groups. Jesus shows that God's mission is to reach everyone from all different places, from all different walks of life. No one should be overlooked. 
No one left out. And look at verse 35 again. Jesus shows us what God's mission looks like. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus is going to them. He's moving towards them, to their places of reference, to the streets they live on, to where they feel most comfortable. And what's he doing when he goes? Well, it boils down to two things, really. He's speaking and he's showing. He's speaking and he's showing. He's teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, letting people know that God's promised king, the Messiah, has finally come. And he's showing people what his kingdom is like, healing people, lifting people out of their affliction and suffering, giving people a taste of God's kingdom here on earth, showing people what's to come in the new heavens and the new earth. And it's no different for us today. Throughout the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, we see that the disciple-making mission that God's people are on is one of speaking and showing. We proclaim the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ has come to lift us out of the suffering and the affliction and the brokenness of our sin, to give us new life, both now and forever in eternity. That's the good news that we proclaim. But we also show the gospel as well. We show it through the lives that we live. We show it together. How the gospel transforms us. How it unites us. We give people a taste of God's kingdom here on earth and show people how the gospel makes sense of life. And the best place for people to see that is in community. As we live together, as we interact with each other, which is why we talk as a church about mission through community. Why we have, as a church, missional communities which gather across our city throughout the week. We share the gospel and we share our lives with other people, those we rub shoulders with every day, those we work alongside, those people in our sports club, those people who live in our street. We share our lives with them. We share the gospel too. And we invite people into the community where they see the gospel lived out. We invite them along on a Sunday here. We invite them to meet others in our missional community. And Sam Chan is, is a, an evangelist, and he's got a book called Evangelism in a Skeptical World. And he, to, he calls this, inviting people into community, he calls this uh, what's the plausibility of community. How the gospel starts to make sense when someone comes along and they see that it's not just you that believes this about Jesus. It's not you that's just living this out in your life, but there are others that believe it too. Others who are living it out alongside you. Sam says that whenever people see that, it starts to provoke their intrigue, their curiosity as to why you all live like this, why you love each other and serve each other in these ways, why you talk about the things that you do. It provokes people's curiosity and it causes people to ask more questions, to search themselves for the answers. There's so much more that we could say on this in that kind of 
uh, plausibility of community and, and what that looks like for us and the ways that we might do that in, in speaking to people and showing people the gospel. We'll think a little bit more about that next week in, in the how we do mission as a church. But it's to say that in following Jesus' example on mission, the two things that we do are we speak about Jesus and we show people Jesus. But look secondly at Jesus' motivation on mission. This is what I really want us to focus on, the why. What is it that motivates Jesus Christ on mission? Why is he doing what he's doing? Well, look at verse 36. Look at his attitude towards the people. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Crowds of people following Jesus could have been thousands. And Jesus turns to them, he looks at them, and he had compassion for them. That word compassion, it's really strong and really emotive in the Greek. It's the word gutso, which we get our English word gutted from. I don't think gutted is, is strong enough, really, to say what, what Jesus felt here. Literally, it means that Jesus' guts moved within him as he looked at this crowd. He was deeply moved to his inner being with pity and compassion for them. Why does he feel this way? Well, look at verse 36 again. Because he sees this crowd as harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Now, to the naked eye, to the disciples who were standing alongside him, to you or me if we'd been there, this would have looked like a very normal bunch of people. People from all different walks of life, the rich, the poor, the influential and the nobodies, the insiders in society, the outsiders too, young and old. But Jesus looks at them all and he sees them all the same way. And he feels the same way about all of them. Why does Jesus see them like lost, harassed, helpless sheep without a shepherd? Well, it's because he looks past the exterior and he looks right to the heart. He sees what's really going on in here and he knows that without him, these people are lost in the brokenness and the darkness of their sin forever. They are utterly helpless, hopeless in life without the good shepherd. The word harassed, it literally means flayed, torn apart. We might use the word frazzled, stressed. That's the way Jesus sees this crowd. That word helpless, it literally in the original means flattened, crushed. We might say burdened, wearied. And doesn't that describe so many people in life? So many people in our city of Belfast, burdened, and frazzled and stressed by the struggles of this world, whether that be sickness or financial difficulty or the stress of a job or broken relationships. Life is hard in so many ways and many people are just good at hiding it or escaping how disillusioned or helpless they really feel in life. But Jesus sees right to the heart and he sees how desperate, as desperate a situation these people are in without him. And he feels deep compassion for them. Now here's the thing. 
It might be easy for me, if I'm a Christian this morning, if I've been a Christian for years maybe, to read these verses and to forget something important. That I am one of those sheep. To forget that I'd still be one of those harassed, helpless, lost sheep bought for the grace of God and Jesus. Bought for the compassion and love of my Savior. I need to remember this this morning that Jesus looked at me and he felt compassion for me. His heart broke for me. That's what motivated him to leave the glories of heaven and to come to this earth. That's what motivated him to go to the cross to die for me. He's the good shepherd who was willing to lay down his life for the sheep, to save his sheep from the bondage and slavery of sin, to save his sheep from eternal death and and to offer them eternal life. How I need to be reminded of this if I'm a Christian this morning. The compassion and love of Jesus Christ for me. That's what motivated Jesus Christ on mission. And I realize that there might be a sense of conviction in our hearts this morning if we're listening to this. It's naturally the way I feel every time I hear these verses. Because the truth is, I don't naturally feel the compassion and love of Jesus Christ for others. I don't feel that. There are maybe some people in life that I do, maybe my my family or the closest friends that I have, but for a lot of others, neighbors, teammates, work colleagues, the guy who cuts my hair, the other moms that you maybe meet at the school gates, we very often just don't feel that love and the compassion of Jesus Christ for them. And I think a big reason for this is because we just don't see people like Jesus does. We focus so much on what's going on out here and we forget what's really going on in here. We look at some people and they seem fine. Life seems good. They seem happy, sorted. They've got a good family, a good job. They're popular, well-liked. We can look at them and we can almost begin to question whether they really do need Jesus. Or we look at others and they seem just so far from God. No interest in the gospel at all. Life seems a mess. And we find ourselves wondering, to our shame, how could they ever come to know Jesus? It's so easy to focus on the exterior and to forget what's really going on in people's heart. But we need to remember the truth that there are countless people all around us every day. And without Jesus, they are harassed, helpless, lost sheep in desperate need of a shepherd. There was a guy called Dwight Moody, an American evangelist in the 19th century, who came to London for a big evangelistic event. And when he was here, there were several British pastors who wanted to come to meet this guy and and find out a little bit about him because he was pretty poorly educated. Um, But yet he had an amazing ministry and he was so effective in bringing many people to know Jesus Christ. And Moody took three of these guys to the hotel room in which he was staying. And uh, they looked out of the window of the hotel room together at this park down below. And Moody asked them to describe what they saw. Some of them said they saw a man wearing a top hat, a woman in old worn-out clothing, some kids playing with a ball. And then Moody looked out the window 
And with tears rolling down his cheeks, one of the pastors asked, what do you see, Mr. Moody? And he said, brother, I see countless thousands of souls that will, be one, that will one day spend eternity in hell if they do not find a savior. We're not all gonna be like the great evangelist Moody, but I wonder if there's something that the Lord needs to awaken in our hearts that we see alive in his compassion, a deep love for the lost in our city. And it's so much harder to feel that compassion and that tenderness for pe- from people if we feel distant from them, if we don't go to them. Perhaps one of the most practical steps that we can take in becoming more missional as a church is just simply to be more intentional in sharing our lives with people who don't yet know Jesus. Being more than just acquaintances with work colleagues. Developing genuine, meaningful relationships with those that we go to the gym with or that we meet outside the school. I've been so convicted of this the last few weeks. I stopped playing rugby about two years ago, just before COVID, and rugby for me was one of the best places for me to develop deep and meaningful relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus. And I've lost that in this last while. And I feel convicted about that because if I looked at my diary, there's probably far less time in my week that I'm spending time with people who don't yet know Jesus compared to those who do. Look at your diary this week. Who's in your life right now who you're genuinely spending time with who doesn't know Jesus? What would it look like for you to go out of your way to really invest in a relationship with someone? Maybe at work. Maybe someone who lives in your street. A friend that you've wandered away from a little bit. So important that we don't just see that person as a project. That's not what I'm saying here. But just seeing that person as someone that we feel compassion and tenderness and concern for. Here's the thing, living like this, it's probably going to cost us in some way or another. And that's what we've looked at in these last couple of weeks. This is how all of these kind of, uh, the six weeks that we've got in our abiding in Jesus, our generosity and our mission, how they're all tying together Because this is going to probably require you making yourself a little bit more uncomfortable this week. Inviting them around for dinner maybe. Opening up your home. Investing your time and your energy or your money in going out for drinks with someone. Heading out for a coffee after the gym or work when you just want to go home. Hanging around the clubhouse and your sports team after the game's finished on a Saturday. It's going to cost you in some way or another to be missional like this. But this is what we're called to be as God's people, radically generous. And perhaps if this is where we want to grow in our missional living, this is where we have to start. Or this is something we maybe need to restart again after COVID has stripped so much of this back. Jesus was motivated by a deep love and compassion for the lost. And we must ask by God's grace that he would give us eyes to see people like Jesus Christ and hearts that are compassionate and loving towards people. And then thirdly, as we kind of finish up here, look at Jesus' strategy on mission. Fueled by this compassion, Jesus turns to his disciples, and look what he says to them in verses 37 and 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. The picture changes from sheep to this other farming metaphor. Jesus shows that there's a plentiful harvest before him. I am a country boy at heart, being from Ballymena, and these pictures of, of sheep and, and crops are really familiar to me, but they might not be for you, you townies from Belfast, or city slickers. So here's what Jesus would have seen. It's on the screen. You're going to see it now. Here's the picture Jesus sees. A ripe harvest field, ready to be harvested. Jesus is filled with optimism here, isn't he? Not pessimism. See, the image of the sheep, of the sheep and, and the crowds of people as sheep, it was meant to invoke our compassion, but this image of the harvest field is one that should prime us to action. There's a huge harvest field, masses of people across the world, across our city of Belfast, who are ripe and ready to hear and receive the gospel. I wonder, do we see it like that? Do we look at it with optimism like Jesus? A ripe harvest, it needs workers to go and reap the harvest. The harvest doesn't glean itself. And so look what Jesus says. The harvest is plentiful, but look what's lacking. The laborers are few. Imagine being one of the disciples in this scenario. Jesus saying a ripe harvest field. That's why I see, and, and you're thinking, how are we ever going to reach them all, Jesus? Look at how many people there are. Look at us around this room. We're, what, 120 people in this church. A tiny number of people in a small corner of this huge city. And the disciples are no doubt thinking the same as us. Jesus, what can we do? But look at what Jesus' brilliantly simple strategy is on mission. Something that we can all do. Verse 30, pray and go. Pray and go. Pray earnestly for more workers to be raised up to get out into the harvest field and go. If we were to look at chapter 10, read it later, Jesus calls his disciples to himself and he sends them out on mission. He gives them power and authority to go and proclaim the gospel message and to show the kingdom of God that it's come. And if you go to Matthew 28, to, to his commission to all his disciples, to us, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Pray and go. That's the strategy. And sometimes I think we can make it too complicated. But where the mission starts is on our knees before the Lord in prayer. We pray fundamentally because this harvest field, it belongs to him. He's the one who's in charge. And so we pray to him to show our dependence on him. We show that when we go out on mission... We don't go in our own strength. We don't go in our own power, but we go in his. He's the Lord of the harvest. We're totally dependent on him for the harvest. He's the one who sends us, and he sends us out with the amazing encouragement that he will always be with us. The one who possesses all power and all authority, he is with us as we go. Remember what he said at the end of Matthew 28? As you go, know that I am right there with you to the very end of the age. If there's going to be a harvest time in Belfast, it will be because the Lord has been at work. And so we're called to pray to him, 
to the Lord of the harvest. J.C. Riley is a well-known pastor. He said, never, never may we forget that if we want to do good to this world, if we want to do good to Belfast, our first duty is to pray. So will you make that your first duty this week, church? To pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Pray for your own heart this week. I'm going to be praying for mine that God would stir up some of that compassion in my heart for the lost. Why not pray specifically about three people this week who don't yet know Jesus? Pray every day for them. Pray for a way to bless them maybe. Pray for a way to serve them. Pray for opportunities to share something of your faith in Jesus with them maybe. Pray for God to send you and others out into his harvest field. Pray for more church planters to be raised up across our city. Pray for more churches to be planted across this island of Ireland. Let's earnestly pray to the Lord of the harvest this week. And as we pray, watch as our confidence and mission is renewed and strengthened. Because yes, the task might seem big. It might seem overwhelming the numbers of people out there. The harvest is indeed plentiful. The workers are few, but Jesus... He possesses all power and authority. He has all power and authority to win the nations for himself. He's all power and authority to raise people from death to eternal life. He doesn't need us one bit in this mission, but what a privilege and a joy that he chooses to use us. And as we finish, here's the question you might be asking. Does the strategy that Jesus give, gives here, does it even work? Do our endeavors on mission make a difference? Well, you've seen that we've pulled back the carpet here today because we are baptizing someone here in our church family today. It's at the 11.30 service. I'm sorry about that. That's the, the downside of having two services now. But we didn't want to double dunk. And so we're only doing it at the 11.30. But isn't it amazing that today... Of all days when we start thinking about mission is a day when we are given proof that the Lord is still at work. He's the Lord of the harvest. He is calling people to himself. He is turning people's lives upside down, bringing people from death to life. And he's using us to do it. Random conversations in a Castlereagh bookshop a random conversation where the person invited the person getting baptized to, to come along to church here at Village. They've been coming for five, six months, never been to church before, no church background, heard the gospel proclaimed week after week, and has put their trust in Jesus Christ. What a joy. Praise the Lord. That's our hope on mission. Lost, harassed, helpless sheep finding their rest in the shepherd Jesus Christ.